0: Hey, folks, in this episode of the podcast, we're speaking with On One. This is Twitter. Hey, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, I have Dan Harlicker. We're going to be talking about On One software. You may have heard of the company. They've been around for quite some time, but we're going to dive into a couple of things. We're going to talk about... Who? what the company is designed to do, what their main goal in life is, what's the purpose of the company. We're going to talk about some of the software that they put out for folks to create images from. And we're going to talk about, hopefully, I'm going to pry some of the future facing things, if we can, out of Dan, see where, uh, where things are going. Dan, welcome to This Week in Photo Man. How's it going?
1: Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, show you guys what we
0: got. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. This is this is really cool. It's been a long time coming getting you on the podcast. Thank you for uh, thank you for doing this on a Friday afternoon, no less, and it's close to beer <laughs> clock, right? <laughs> I know I don't have a beer yet, so you don't have a beer. Neither do I. I have a Coke over here. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm excited to chat about this because it's a. Uh, You know, I'm always excited to talk about things that help photographers exercise and do the things that they want to do. And it's so funny. You look at the world of imaging and I've been I've been in this game. I hate to put the rings on the tree, but I've been in this game since I say a long time. Let's let's use Photoshop as the as the marker. Uh, I started using Photoshop in version two. That was a version bef- before layers right that was before layers showed up in version three uh and you guys are taking that ball and doing some amazing things with pushing pixels around let's i want to start with an introduction to you first you know like dan who are who are you and what's your function at the company and what do you bring to the table for on one let's start there sure sure
1: well i'm dan harger i'm currently the vp of product at on one but I've been a lifelong photographer. I started with Photoshop 2.5 back in college, so just wow. before they introduced layers, and obviously that was a, a big deal. But all of college, you know, I was going to school for photography, and it was all film back in the day, film and darkroom. And uh, I worked as a commercial photographer. Then I owned a wedding photography, wedding and portrait studio. And actually, my wife and I still have a wedding and portrait studio uh, here. That's actually where I'm at today, is upstairs in the office of the studio. Uh, but Luckily, I sat on an airplane next to the right person, and next thing I knew, I became a product manager. If you guys aren't familiar with a product manager, they're someone who works in software. They interface with the customer. They kind of figure out what it is that they want, what are the problems that need to be solved, and then they kind of work with the engineers to come up with ways to solve those problems. And I started doing that, oh gosh, almost 20 years ago now. And, uh, you know, I started with on one 15 or 16 years ago as kind of their, their first product manager. And, uh, when we started with Photoshop plugins only, and this is this even before Lightroom was even a thing, uh, yeah. Lightroom came out we started to build plugins for Lightroom, plugins for Photoshop, plugins for more solutions. And then we ended up kind of turning those into standalone applications that address all the needs of photographers have today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we are. I mean, you know, there's a a bunch of things to talk about. So, you know, looking at the website, I'm on the website now. There's all kinds of software that photographers go to the website and then sort of drool after. Right. In the the main and correct me if I'm wrong, the main flagship app is the photo, the on one photo raw app. Right. So take me into that world or, or better yet, take me back and take me into the suite of apps. Which one came first? And then, you know, the kind of supplementary lineup after that.
1: Sure. Well, when we when we started the company many many years ago, we started off with uh, some fairly well known plugins. You guys may have heard of PhotoFrame and Mask Pro and uh, Photo Tools. We even did some Quark Express plugins way way back mm. when the company started. Mm-hmm. And you know, we kind of started to build our, our own tools, our own plugins that were unique and different for us. Of course, Genuine Fractals was one of our earliest plugins as well for resizing your photos. But uh, the more that we built, the more our customers said, you know we just want to do everything in on one. You know we love the way you guys build stuff so much that we don't want to have to use these other apps. So we built a browser, we kind of combined them together and then probably uh, six or seven years ago, we came out with Photo RAW. We built our own raw processing engine from the ground up. It's all based in the GPU, so it's super fast, much faster than any of the raw. Processors at the time. Uh, and then that's kind of where Photo Raw came from. That was kind of the first all in one. It kind of combines, uh, if you will, imagine if Photoshop and Lightroom had a baby, that would be Photo Raw. So yeah. it does all of the browsing, cataloging, all of your culling, all of your basic Raw processing, all of your retouching, but then it also can do that on layered files. You can actually combine multiple Raw photos together, still keeping it 100% non destructive. When we've added effects and portrait retouching, and sky replacement, and pretty much everything else a photographer could ever want into a single platform,
0: I love that. You know, I, I got to take a pause and and just let you know that the the this weekend photo community, particularly our, our our little private community, it turns out that the I would say a good eighty five to ninety percent of the photographers in there love cats. I've just got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say, you just sold a bunch of. I don't know if it was strategic, but you just sold a bunch yeah. of software because of the cameo and the photo bombing of that cat back there in the background. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's, that's Carlos, one of our studio cats. We have two studio cats and our, our dog, uh, Luna, who's hiding back there somewhere with my, my wife, Whitney, who's also a photographer. So she's hey, over there hey, editing Whitney. a job while we're talking. So yeah.
0: That is awesome. I was going to put that in there. So the the TWIP folks that are listening to this, they know who I'm talking about. They love their cats. You know, our meetings are full of cats all the time. Um, yeah. And dogs, and dogs too. Dogs get equal treatment. Um, yeah. So yeah, so just, just back to the, the the task at hand. So the you know, looking at the positioning of the software. So you mentioned a bunch of pieces of competing software out there, right? And mm-hmm. and competing technologies like Sky Replacement. You know, Sky Replacement showed up, and then now there's a lot of Sky Replacement out there. Uh, you guys have been in the game forever, like since before Lightroom, since you know, which is I. That's crazy. So what? Mm-hmm. Where do you see? Where do you see OnOne fitting? in the in the industry, is it an alternative? Are you looking to become the next Adobe? Are you supplementary to Adobe and you guys are in a in a friendly coopetition type arrangement? Like where what's the positioning that you see that the company sits in?
1: That's a great question. Uh, the way that I think about it is we're a technology company and we're a photography company. So mm-hmm. Many of the guys who work there, like me, are photographers. We just want to build technologies that solve problems for photographers in unique and better ways. And we're going to put that out in whatever works for people. So that's why we started as a plugin company. That's why we still make plugins today. So a lot of those cool technologies will work in whatever you use. So if you use Photoshop or you use Lightroom or you use Capture One or Affinity or Corel or Apple Photos, it doesn't matter. We take those great technologies, we make them available there. But then there's also people that kind of want it all in one, in one platform, and they want to be able to have that non-destructive editing. And to get that true non-destructive editing, you have to kind of own the whole process from super the nuts, you know? yeah. Yeah, if there was a way that we could do that inside of Lightroom or those other apps, that'd be great, but no one's ever invented that capability. So it kind of forced our hand to go build a tool so that we could give the users what they wanted. They want to have that full-on layered, non-destructive editing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it is. I mean, it's it's so interesting. I'm curious, the one of the one of the buzzwords in the industry over the past couple of years, I mean three-ish years, has been AI, you know, or buzz acronyms, right? Artificial intelligence has been out there and, and mm-hmm. with Sky Replacement, of course, being one of them and and different areas. Where does on one sit with that? Like it with in terms of artificial intelligence and in and smartly incorporating it into software, where does it best sit? Fit in, and where do you see things going with artificial intelligence?
1: Oh, I, I could talk on that for for a long time. So bring it.
0: Me too. This is exciting. I'm a nerd. Project I love this stuff for <laughs> for quite
1: a long time. And you know, and AI is kind of a loaded term. There, there's a lot of different kinds of AI. A lot of what we think about today are, are going to be more, you know, CNN's convolutional neural networks that are, are deep learning is mm-hmm. another way to to think about it. But there's other forms of AI than we've been implementing those uh, for, for years. You know, we started off with, I think, our AI QuickMask tool, which made it very simple to make a selection. It's kind of marked a little bit in green and a little bit in red, and it would automatically create a selection for you uh, using AI. Uh, we also do some AI matching for uh, uh, improving kind of an auto tone sort of thing. Uh, even our Lightroom migration tool, something we built many years ago, it helps you to migrate your catalog from Lightroom into Photo Raw actually uses AI to determine the proper settings for all of the developed sliders, where I think the only tool, knock on wood, that I can think of today, that will actually transfer your Lightroom photos over with all of the non-destructive settings from Lightroom play. So if you've gone and you've made adjustments to the color and tone, and you've done local adjustments or retouching in Lightroom, all of that transfers over to, to Photo Raw, and we use AI to do that because the Obviously, the algorithms uh, for basic raw processing are different between our app and Lightroom. So, you know, a Mm -hmm. shadow slider of 10 in Lightroom doesn't mean a shadow slider of 10 in our app. We have to actually look at the results and come up with what the proper results or the proper slider positions would be. So today, uh, that AI has gone a lot further. So, you know, we have done no noise AI for reducing noise that actually uses... You know convolutional neural networks to do that we've built portrait ai for automatically finding faces and giving the ability to smooth the skin enhance the eyes enhance the mouth and do all that work automatically and our newest one resize ai that'll be coming out very soon which is kind of the next generation of resize or genuine fractals for upscaling or uh, interpolating your photos so those are all different types of ai but what it really comes down to is we want to make it easier for a photographer to get better looking work. Our goal is not to replace the creativity or to take over the creativity anytime that we deploy AI. It's to either take something that's boring and hard to do, like mm-hmm. masking or scaling, making that easier and faster for users, or it's to unlock creative potential that's hard to do. Now, something like sky replacement. When you do it right, it can look realistic and believable and adds to the photo and doesn't subtract from the photo. So we want to give users the ability to do that and make what was a good photo a great photo.
0: Yeah, does that, kind yeah. Of your question? that does. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we're going. We're going, and and that's that's my definition of AI too. It's to take the things that we don't like doing, or any technology, right? Is to is to make the things that that are hard, time consuming, or or in other words, we we put them at the bottom of the list of things that we have to do, and and automate those mm-hmm. and make those easier. And like you mentioned, sky replacement. Yeah, unless you are a channel wizard and you understand the Bezier path tool and doing all that stuff. And even then, it was hard to get realistic looking, perfect type masks. But if you throw a horsepower of a computer at it and have, and mm-hmm. you're, like you said, machine learning and have it do that intelligence separation, boom, now you have a photo that, that ordinarily would have been okay. Now it's amazing, right? Because you can, you yeah. can change the, the shot in there. Yeah. You know, you mentioned and it goes
1: beyond just the map. You know, mm-hmm. you're just having a great mask for the sky isn't going to do it because it has to actually blend with the foreground correctly. So you actually right. have to look at the sky, understand what the sky looks like, understand the foreground and make adjustments to the foreground so the two blend together and look realistic. So yeah, even a, a mask is a good start, but it isn't the end of when it comes to replacing skies at all.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. You know, you you, you mentioned the algorithm, like the raw processing algorithm. I want to talk about that a little bit because you obviously that's what, that's part of what you guys do, right? Uh, is to take those zeros and ones, decode them, make a make a uh, image that our our gray matter can can discern as something. So when you look at that, when you when I look at the 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 math that goes into these raw processing algorithms, I like from a from a user standpoint it's hard for me to understand what's different between the different platforms so we've got like you mentioned Adobe with camera raw which is also in lightroom photoshop we've got you know all the other players out there that are able to decode raw all the way down from apple all of them right can do it what's different in on one like what's is there a secret sauce in there or are all of you guys pulling from a library from camera manufacturers that say this is how you decode our files have at it. Add your salt and pepper to it, but this is this is the the basic. <laughs> like, yeah. how does it, How does I, I that work? I
1: wish the camera manufacturers would do that. They don't. <laughs> it's actually, it's all it's all very very secret and very difficult to do. So, oh. uh, you know, when you take that raw photo, there's several stages. First, you have to just decode it. And oftentimes, it's compressed. You have to uncompress it and decode it so that you actually have data you can work with. Then you have to debar it or de-mosaic, and that's the process of actually taking that raw data and turning it from a single grayscale image into you know, a three-channeled uh, RGB image. Uh, and then that what you have right there is going to look very flat and ugly and green. You then have to apply the proper corrections to that to make it look like a, a pleasing photo. And that's what everybody in raw processing has to do. The problem is there's not necessarily a perfect formula for doing that. There's lots of things along that way where you can kind of do it your own way. You know, there's different deep airing algorithms, different denoising, different sharpening. The curves and the color primaries that are used can vary. Some of that's included in the raw photos from make to make. Some are not. So you know, a lot of that just comes down to uh, shooting lots of samples and making adjustments. So we get what we think are good looking results out of it. Um, for us, one of the big differences is uh, performance is super important to us. So, like I mentioned, we do everything in the GPU, and the better the GPU you have, the better—I uh, should say—better results. The faster you're going to get those results. When it comes to browsing your photos, it's going to be a lot faster. We don't require that you catalog all your photos. Most other apps out there, you have to go through this cataloging process. Which you come back from a shoot, you got three thousand photos, you stick it in there to catalog, you got to wait for it to ingest all those before you can actually do any work. We don't do that. You can just put the pictures on your hard drive and you can start to browse and work with them right away. So it's very fast to get in, see your work, do your basic calling before you actually get in to do any real processing.
0: Now, are, are there any little bits in there, in the bits of data that are included in the raw file that you guys aren't able to see? And I, I literally don't know. For example, you know, I have a, a Nikon camera here, right? Uh, the, this guy, which I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy with this guy, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, that's a Z6 II. Um, so we have that camera, just going to generate Nikon RAW files to it. And are there any bits of data that are included in that RAW file that you can't see, like lens characteristic information or different things like that that need to be decoded? Or do you get access to everything that's recorded when I click that shutter button?
1: It's a bit of both. It kind of depends on the camera and uh, the make and what is in there. Some of it's recorded in kind of standard fields that are easy to read. Some are recorded in what's called the maker note, which is another area where the manufacturer can can stick metadata. Sometimes that's encrypted, sometimes it's not Uh, for our uses we can get just about everything that we need out of it. Uh, all of the information about the lens and the lens settings that we use so that we can do proper lens correction. Uh, there are some things that are there that we haven't chosen to do yet. You know, for example, if you shoot the camera using a specific camera profile, we don't automatically pick that. The user can go in and, and pick that. That's something that we could do, but we just haven't done that. Uh, or we're doing things like in-camera crop that's another thing where we just kind of will decode the whole file rather than applying the camera crop to it. But a lot of that's just based on feedback from our users. You know, if we get a lot of users that say they want those features, we can certainly add those to it.
0: Yeah. I love it. Love it. So much fun. Is, I love this stuff. This, mm-hmm. it's, it's so much fun. The, the power that, you know, companies like, like on One give photographers. I come from photography from back in the literally rolling your own black and white film into the canister, mm-hmm. shooting it, oh, yeah. processing it, putting on the reel, dimp and duck. So I'm back from that. So you look at look at where things were then. And we thought that was state of the art, right? It's mm-hmm. state of the art what we're doing. I and mean, we look at what you, companies like on one what you're doing. It's literal alchemy, the things that we can do now with images, notwithstanding the sensors and the cameras and all that. So on that, you know that was a that was a clever segue for me. On that, <laughs> you guys you guys have uh, resizing software. So talking about sensor sizes mm-hmm. and resolution and all that. Um, I also shoot Micro Four Thirds. So I have full frame Nikon's, full frame Panasonic, and Micro Four Thirds. In fact, I'm on a Micro Four Thirds camera right now. Um, these, the, the, one of the dings that Micro Four Thirds gets is, hey, the sensor size is too small. You're never going to be able to make blow up beautiful images like I can with full frame. You're a hobbyist, yada, yada, yada. Does, it, does your resize software mitigate that argument? In other words, Am I am I able to now blow up my images that are shot on Micro Four Thirds or even my phone to saleable levels that that are competitive with full frame?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you know, AI, the the kind of the recent generation of AI, a lot of the you know the, the newer, more deep learning models that have come out over the last few years are really just unlocking things that we could never do before. You know no noise is a good example that's something you do at the very beginning of your workflow for reducing noise and then resize at the opposite end of the bookend uh, to, to prepare it for printing the way it works is let's see if i can describe this so normally when you take a photo and you blow it up you know if you do this in photoshop or a traditional way it kind of looks at a block of pixels and it averages those and inserts a new pixel of that color so everything grows together so what used to be a very sharp edge becomes a larger more diffuse edge so that's one of the problems you get when you try to take one of those smaller files from an older camera or a significant crop, uh, or something where micro four thirds, it might not be as big when you try to blow it up, everything gets softer. And then you have to try to sharpen it to try to counteract that. Right. Resize AI is, is very different. It actually uses an AI model. It can analyze the photo. It can understand the textures that make up the photo and then can recreate that detail. It's essentially increasing the resolution of the file it's pretty crazy what it can do so it can take those small files you know i've done a lot of photos that are in the you know 2,000 pixels on the long side size you know something that would be from like a let's say like an iphone 3 for Mm -hmm. example you know fairly old stuff and you can blow those up much much larger you know you can make a 16 by 20 print from those that from a standard viewing distance would look pretty good
0: so. What and what? okay what's happening though <laughs> when you're doing that what's happening because like you said you know most photographers are familiar with interpolation right you know where you can you stretch something out and the software will average what it thinks should be in between those pixels and blow it up but you end up with fuzzy kind of out of focus or soft images that aren't crisp and beautiful right but Mm -hmm. You're not doing that. Is there there some sort of fractal math going in there? Like what's happening? So (laughs) what's happening to the extent that you can share trade secrets? What's happening when you stretch it out and you got pixel A and pixel C? How do you get to Mm -hmm. the, the spaces in between without making the whole thing fall apart?
1: Yeah. That's actually the really cool thing about AI. It's funny you mentioned uh, fractals. That's actually the genuine fractals used to work, which was kind of the gold standard for this for like the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. Is it would look at a photo, it would use fractals to make essentially like a, a think of it like a like a vector framework or a you know a fractal framework. It could scale up. That would keep the edges sharp, but when it came to filling in the textures, which oftentimes to our eyes the most important part of it, it would still kind of end up using bicubic to do that. So you get softer textures with harder edges. Mm. So it's better than what you do with Bite Cubic, but not nearly as good as what you can do using AI. With AI, we essentially train it with millions of samples from photos. So it sees lots of examples of all the different textures and all the different edges in the world. And then its job is to recreate those at any scale. So it can essentially blow the photo up and then it could look at that area and say, Ah, you know, that's feathers or that's fur or that's tree bark or that's rock and then it can fill it in with the proper texture at the scale that you're going to. So it's, oh,
0: it's pretty crazy. So, okay. It's so, kind of so, frankly, so, magic to me too. So. That is, it's a kind of magic, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, it can fill in. So, if it knows, if I take a picture of a brick pattern on a wall, right, with a with a relatively small sensor camera, and I know that my client needs it to be X size and Photoshop's resized by cubic or whatever is not going to do it. What what your software will do is when I scale that up, it's going to say, "Hey, that's brick." and I know brick looks like this, and I'm gonna use, is it using that brick look, looks like this texture and putting it in there? Or is it saying, hey computer, draw some texture that looks similar to this brick that I know what bricks look, brick looks like? How, how is that happening under the hood?
1: It's, it's more like the latter. So, you know, for example, it's not just stamping an existing brick pattern over the brick, is that, because that wouldn't be very believable, obviously right. the scale. Would be off. You know, you couldn't just stick in a very small brick pattern. You know, it has to honor the pattern of the brick, but it understands even deeper than that. You know, the texture of the brick, the texture of the mortar, and can actually refine the edges and put the proper kind of that microscopic texture on those things. So they look realistic.
0: Yeah. Wow. So interesting. So what else? What what else is On1 working on? So you guys, clearly you have a team of like 3000 people working on the, <laughs> the the resize software. You got a team of, team of engineers doing raw, right? As these new cameras keep coming out with different raw formats and different capabilities and all that. What else? What else are you putting your horsepower on?
1: You know, we were really focusing on those problems that are really hard to solve. Uh, you know, for us, Obviously, we have our existing tools we need to maintain and continue to improve those. And one of the ways that we can do that is to kind of look at overarching problems that are difficult for people and come up with ways to make those better. So without tipping our hand too much, uh, one of the things that people love about our products is our masking capabilities. We have a very flexible, very powerful set of masking tools that all work together. Uh, You can kind of look at the newer versions of Lightroom and some of the things that they've done with masking. Mm -hmm. We've been doing all that for 10 years uh, already. So that area around masking of having to create complex masks is still a difficult area. And I think that's something that we can make a lot better for users.
0: Yeah. And that was, I mean, traditionally, right, That back in Photoshop two, five, three, four days, right? Being able to do masks was, was an alchemy. You remember, you remember back in the day, uh, Kai's Photo Tools and Kai Krauss mm-hmm. and all that, yep. right? He, like, he was the Steve Jobs of pixels dropping, <laughs> dropping those different pieces of software out and people would just get excited yeah. and hang on his every word. Um, but I remember it was, he had put out a series, I think it was him, it was either him or Guy Kawasaki, had put out a series uh, called CHOPS channel operations right it was a Mm -hmm. it was a series of text-based articles on the early web that step by step showed you how to do different things like how do you get a glossy liquidish texture how do you how do you do this how do you do that And as long as you followed them like create the shape blur it Mm -hmm. cut this out do this you would end up at the end of it with with something that looked Pretty cool. Fast forward to today. Now we have a power of on one. We can do all these kinds of things. And masking was one of the things that they talked about back then. Of okay, this is you gotta if you want to select something, you do this and you blur it. Then you use this this uh, you know command to do this. And at the end of it, you might have a a, a mask that you can then load in that will you know allow you to put stuff behind it. So you guys are doing all that, but. At, at, in a click, right? Take take me into that mm-hmm. a little bit more, because that that part of it, I want people to understand how important that is. Just the 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 power of masking and having control over a scene, not just the sky replacement stuff, but being able to say, "Hey, I have this picture of Dan in his studio. I want to put something else behind him." Yeah. You know that even in a shot like this of you would not be easy, right? With the glasses mm-hmm. and the hair and all this stuff, that would that would not yeah. be easy, but. In your world, it's relatively straightforward. Take me through that a little bit. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you, you kind of give me give me shivers thinking of the old days of Photoshop, back where you used to <laughs> have to like, take a channel and duplicate the channel, and then go into you quick know. mask mode, and mask <laughs> on it, and then save that as a selection. People always wonder, why is there that save selection command in Photoshop? I would never need that anymore. And then you'd have to load that selection in, because you didn't even have layer ma- masks back in the day. So.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyway. So when it comes to to masking in in Photoshop, you know everything is non-destructive in PhotoRAW. And it's the same in, in our other apps that are kind of spawned off of PhotoRAW, like Effects and Portrait. There's lots of different ways that you can use masks and create masks. They're used at every filter level, every layer level, every adjustment layer that you add. You have, all those have a mask. And each mask has a huge number of capabilities. You can start off with a luminosity mask, for example. It's a very popular. Thing to do, You'll start with a luminosity mask, but then we give you global masking tools to soften that mask or to think of it like a layers or a curves adjustment on that luminosity mask so that you can actually push it to be lighter or darker, to target lighter or darker ranges. Or you can even create a window Well let's say, you only want it to affect the midtones, you can essentially bring in clipping sliders from each side that will clip off the highlights and the shadows so you're only affecting a certain window and you can move that window around. So. You can highly target uh, different tones that way, but you can also do color range masks. And you can then use any of the localized tools. There's flexible gradients. We were actually the first company to have a a truly re-editable, flexible gradient. You know, In Photoshop, you kind of make a gradient. It's very difficult to go back and adjust it, where with ours, you can adjust it in 3D at any time, along with brushes, along with our perfect brush, which detects color as you paint, making it very easy to do intricate things, or AI quick mask, all of those all work together. And you can use them in any order that you want. And you can copy and paste those from layer to layer or object to object. So it's very, very flexible, very powerful way to do localized adjustments.
0: Who do you, who do you see as, a, as the customer? the main customer avatar for on one is it the is it the the beginning photographer the amateur the advanced amateur or professionals that are doing what you guys are doing there you know working on wedding work and all that sort of stuff who who's the target
1: honestly anybody with a love of photography is someone that we want to work with when i talk with our customers most of them are advanced amateurs they're people who have been in photography for years probably a third of them are professionals or at least make some some money at their job uh with photography but they're really just people who are passionate about photography and are willing to put in the craftsmanship involved to make a great photo yeah they're not guys who are looking for a a one-click you know solution that are going to do everything for them automatically they want to be in control. they want to create something cool and that's really what they use online for
0: and that's a photographer, right? I mean the the there there's people that 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 make photos, right? You could take your phone and aim it at something and it's going to use all its computational photography and give you an image that is a great repetition representation of the thing that you were looking at, which is great, but that's not a photographer. I think a photographer is somebody who thinks about the composition, the the scene itself, what they want to do with it captures the shot, then takes that shot back and realizes and pushes it to the next level of what that, what they had in their mind's eye. That's the photographer Mm -hmm. that captures and then develops and then shares, not capture and share. I think
1: classic pre-visualization. And, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm always amazed, you know, I I work closely with a, with a lot of our users and at some point they kind of hit this tipping point where they start to learn what they could do it on one, and that becomes part of their pre-visualization process. Yeah. And they already know what they're going to do before they do it. They actually are in the camera and say, all right, I know that if I, if I you know, use a local adjustment here and apply a dynamic contrast here, and they've already thought in advance what they're going to do with that photo before they even push the button. And Those are the guys that just create amazing work
0: yeah yeah right i mean if you you got to know your tools if you know your tools and you know what your tools are capable of it becomes part of the workflow the previs pre-visualization right if i know you know i can if i know i have these superpowers <laughs> i i can leverage those when i go out to fight crime right? So. <laughs>
1: so great power comes a great responsibility
0: it does it does absolutely and we do have great power right because we have all this software mm-hmm. and we have a way to to get our images out and millions of people can see them instantly back in the day when we we're talking about film and processing and printing we could spend all day Perfecting an image in the dark room and be proud of it, but only a half a dozen people are going to see it in the end, right? And you're one of them. <laughs> so yeah. all those, those yeah. times have changed. So we have power and distribution. You know I, know, I know, I want to wrap up here with a with a couple of different directions. Uh, the first is mobile. So obviously, mm-hmm. mobiles. I'm sure mobiles on your roadmap and. You know, as these phones that Apple's putting out and, you know, all the other players are putting out, they're getting better and better and doing all these magical things that we could never have even conceived of before. What is On1 doing to kind of help those people that are shooting with mobile and taking, you know, frankly, taking mobile more seriously going forward?
1: Yeah. So one of the best kept secrets about On1 is that there actually is a mobile app uh, and it actually integrates with the desktop version. It's called uh, we call it Cloud Sync. When you get the subscription version of Photo Raw, you have the ability to take any of your photos and publish them so that they're viewable and editable on all of your devices, including your mobile devices for Android and iOS. And there's a companion mobile app that goes along with that that allows you to take photos. They have great built-in camera apps that give you the kind of manual focus, manual exposure controls that photographers need. They shoot raw, and then those photos actually go up to the cloud and back to your desktop computer so that you can view and edit them from anywhere. So it's a great way to share your portfolio across multiple devices. It's a great way to shoot in the field and get your photos back to your desktop computers. The cool thing about it is it doesn't require that all your originals live in the cloud. It actually creates what we call a proxy. It's essentially a, a proprietary smaller version that maintains all of the raw information, all the tonal range, and all the detail you would in the raw file, but takes up a lot less space so that we can shuttle it around between computers and devices a lot faster. So. Yeah, I love it. I have like, all of my photos. I think i I mean, I'm, I'm a heavy deleter. I'm from the old, you know, shooting slides days. So you only kept your best work by about <laughs> 13,000 photos that, you know, I can view and edit from any of my devices. So that's yeah. pretty handy to be able to do.
0: Wow. That's so cool. So all bases are covered. And then the other, the other okay. side of that is video. Right. So are there any plans to move into the video space? Because I want basically I want everything you're doing, you know, including resize everything. I want it available to me on video as well. So I could do these kinds of magic tricks with moving pixels over 60 frames a second in 4K or 8K. <laughs> When's that coming? Can I yeah. get that?
1: <laughs> that That is a great question. Um, gosh, how do I how do I answer that? Um, we have had interest in video, and it's an area that we've looked at in the past, but to be honest, we're all old-fashioned still photographers, and that's yeah. that's our love, that's our passion, that's what we know, those are the problems that we solve. If you've ever, you know, shot weddings, you know there's the photographer and there's a the videographer. They're yes. two completely separate skills, and the way you approach the scene, the way you do things are completely different, the way that you solve the problems are different. So I think if we're gonna if we go down the video road, we would really have to rethink a lot of the paradigms of the things that we do to really make it fit a videographers workflow better. And to be honest, videographers have pretty darn good tools out there compared to what photographers have.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I remember I was um, I, I was Air Force. I was a combat photojournalist in the Air Force, and I remember our unit had uh, the still photographers, you know, and we thought we were vastly superior to the video guys over there that had to carry around their giant video gear and do edit and all this stuff. But, you know, we yeah. were we were running around with our Nikons and film and all that stuff. So, yeah, there was always this my art form is better than than your art form and they would say well we can tell stories we can make people cry with video we could do all this and we'd say well you <laughs> I know i can do
1: that with a picture
0: <laughs> i can do that with a photo plus i could just hang my photo on the wall it doesn't require any power can you do that <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah so you see, very,
1: photog- you see photographs in museums you don't see a lot of video in museums so.
0: not yet not yet um, yeah for yeah. sure well, cool. I'm sure well, we're thanks. gonna get
1: a lot of hate
0: mail for that, so. Yeah, yeah, well, you know <laughs> where to direct it, you know where to direct it. Dan, thanks thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you coming on and yeah. chatting and let me, and being so open about the stuff that you guys are working on. Um, if people wanna want to dive in, obviously you can go to on1.com to, to look at all the things that are available, but if they're, if they're interested in learning more about the software and sort of diving in before they commit and press buy, where's a good location for them to kind of marinate in the world of On1?
1: Actually, I would do it all at on one. Actually, we have a huge library of video tutorials. I think there's over 800 tutorials that cover every topic you can imagine, and they're from very basic getting started all the way up to you know advanced tutorials uh, that you have access to on the website. So I would go there, download a trial. That's the best way to do it. There's a free two week trial of every product. You can download it and give it a try.
0: Yeah. All right, excellent. All right, so we'll leave it right there. Dan, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you. Yeah,
1: thanks, Frederick. Thanks for having me. This is TWIT.